those moments when you are feeling disconnected from yourself, those are important moments to pay attention to. That disconnect, that feeling of feeling disconnected is actually the deepest part of you trying to get your attention and take you on the journey back to yourself. This is Before It's Too Late. I'm your host, Christiane Suzanne. Let's learn together what matters most in life. I'm very honored to have wonderful actress, best-selling author and coach Tina Lifford as my guest in today's episode. Tina is known for the more than 100 characters she's played on TV and in movies over the course of 36 years, including her current role playing Aunt V in the Oprah Winfrey Network series Queen Sugar. But this is not so much what we are talking about today. Rather, Tina is going deep about her long, soul-touching inner journey to her true self. She's sharing pivotal moments when she experienced stage fright as a schoolgirl in sixth grade and how she turned that into her biggest learning chance ever since. These moments when you are feeling disconnected from yourself are important moments to pay attention to, she says. And when we realize that our issues are a microcosm of a much bigger social issue, then shame and secrecy are unnecessary and unhelpful. We are also talking about her amazing book, The Little Book of Big Lies, in which Tina created a program for inner fitness that gives us tools to fight self-doubt and to stop telling ourselves lies about who we really are. No wonder Forbes appointed it the best personal development book for 2021. Please enjoy listening to what matters most to Tina in life, something, as I find, we can learn a great deal from for ourselves. We are proud to have you as our guest on Before It's Too Late. Tina, I'm so excited to have you on Before It's Too Late today. You are known for more than 100 characters you have played on TV and in movies over the course of 36 years including your current role playing Aunt V on Queen Sugar, Oprah Winfrey and Ava Tavernay's hit show that just has been renewed for season six. You have starred alongside the likes of Clint Eastwood, Jennifer Lopez, Sidney Poitier and Bruce Willis and have a career as actress that most women can only dream about. However, This is not the reason why I feel so honored to have you as my guest on Before It's Too Late today. There's a deeper side of you that interests me most, and this is your profound, soul-touching inner journey. A journey to your true self that you have shared in your amazing book called The Little Book of Big Lies, which is Forbes' best personal development book for 2021. Also, you have been working as a well-being coach for more than 20 years. So, Tina, I'm really curious. Had you always planned for a dual career, becoming an actress and coach? <laughs> Or was there a pivotal moment when you realized 
that finding your true self was something you needed to explore? Yeah, it's a great question, Christiane. And first, let me just say that it is a pleasure to be here, to be in the conversation before it's too late. That whole idea of being in the conversation, taking time to consider oneself before it's too late, is absolutely the passion of my heart. And the way I entered into that thinking and space years ago, decades ago, quite honestly, I tell the story in my book, The Little Book of Big Lies. I actually remember being in the second grade and having an invisible friend that I would walk to school with, sort of hugging the edge of the sidewalk or sitting at my second grade desk, right? Scrunched over to one side, making room for my invisible friend to sit with me. And that friend was the name, my friend's name was God. And not God as in the ways in which my parents might have talked about God, but God was like my friend, my friend. I was like, I could play hopscotch with God, right? Mm. When I think back to that, it really makes me wonder whether or not we all come here as some researchers believe that we come here with a much greater connection to the unseen side of life and that in some way the physicalization, these bodies and however it is, whatever the process is that stuffs us in these bodies, that somehow there is an experience that allows us to forget or become disconnected to that unseen side of our reality. And so we get caught in these bodies and we're only focused on the physical side of us. And I think that in the second grade, a part of me was connected to that unseen side. And then I had a childhood trauma in the fifth grade around stage fright. I got on the stage for the, the talent show and froze terribly in front of the entire student body. And it really did. It was a seminal moment, right? Being an actress is the only thing I've ever wanted to do. I mean, I knew I wanted to be an actress in the second grade, right? Mm -hmm. And I just, I no longer question or find it curious that those two vivid memories are connected. You mean the stage fright and you're always wanting to become an actress? Well, three. Me always wanting to be an actress. Mm -hmm. The stage fright and that early friendship with my invisible friend. Those three things are connected. It's fascinating that you can really tell exactly that this was in second grade. 
Yes. I'm very clear about it. I'm very clear about the school that I, and, and I don't have a great memory, but I'm very clear about the school I was going to, the sidewalk I would walk down, the little desk in the room that I would sit in. And I think that the fact that I had that friend and then I had this burning, yearning desire to be an actress, and then I had the stage fright thing, the stage fright actually is the event that allowed me to, all these years later, connect everything else, right? It was the stage fright and the power that it took from me and my desire to, no matter what I had to do in this lifetime, I was committed to doing everything I could to live the life that my heart wanted to live. And in order to have that happen, I was going to have to challenge the fears and the entangled thoughts that the stage fright birthed and then burdened me with in terms of my sense of what's possible because it was big, right? The stage fright was such an issue that when I started auditioning in the middle of my career, it wasn't like it was with me all the time. It actually got triggered in the middle of my career when things were headed down a really good path. And I would find myself literally shaking like, uncontrollably when it came time to do an audition. I still to this day don't relish auditions, right? But my focus on that and trying to unravel and understand that has given me enormous freedom, enormous deep soul connection and enormous gratitude for that experience and what it has brought into my life. Wow, Tina, that is such a powerful insight into your journey. Your thoughts, I can feel that, are coming from a high level of consciousness, though. You are writing also in your book about conscious faith, that it's all about. However, I would like to know really what the struggle was at the time in sixth grade and also in the midst of your career when stage fright was triggered by something. How would you describe the struggle you had then? Because yeah. obviously you're talking back from a decade-long journey mm -hmm. and we would all love to learn from your journey. Yeah. So what do you think was your struggle at the time and how did you manage to overcome this? Right, great questions. So going back to the day that I got on stage and froze, it's a really important revisit because 
I was in gym class and they passed out the roster, the order of the talent show, the performances that would be happening at like one or two o'clock in the afternoon. Now, I was in gym class at like nine or 10 in the morning. I was a kid who could do just about anything. Like in gym, the gym teacher would ask me to show the class or demonstrate a move like on the trampoline or, or in gymnastics. She would always ask me to demonstrate. I had never heard or seen the exercise or move that she asked me to demonstrate, but she would, she would speak it. She would articulate the moves and then have me demonstrate it because my body was just really intelligent when it came to movement, right? So I say that to say I was a very talented person. I get this roster that gives us the performance order. And when I look at it, I see that my name is the first on the list. And when I saw that, I went, oh. and that oh, really began the journey because that oh, was a gulp of fear. Mm-hmm. And I don't even know why, right? But that's what it was. It was a gulp of fear. And so that gulp of fear inside of it was, oh my God, I'm first. That could go poorly. Oh my God, I'm first. That's a problem. Oh my God, I'm first. I'm going to fail, right? My little brain wasn't able to articulate all of that. But I can see in that gulp, there was all of this fear. And so... In between nine o'clock or 10 o'clock and the talent show, that gulp just lived, right? It lived in a crunched up, bunched up heart. Mm -hmm. It lived in a sinking stomach. It lived in different variations of worry, right? And it lived in thoughts about, ooh, Ooh, what's, what's going to happen? So what we now know about some of what we know through neuroscience is experiences create the opportunity for a pathway. And what creates a pathway, right, a well-worn path, is all of the energy that goes into that experience in terms of behavior and thinking, how quickly we turn a moment into some sort of thinking or behavioral habit, right? Yes. And so between that and then going on the stage, I truly had created a nice picture of failure. And then I got on the stage and that picture totally manifests itself as a reality. As your reality. As my reality. You thought you had failed. Yeah, well, yeah, I absolutely felt. I mean, I got four bars in to old John Henry 
froze, <laughs> could not utter another word, was so frozen that literally the teacher, the pianist kept trying to help me find my way. No sound would come out of my body. And the teacher came from the wings and picked me up like a little cardboard character and carried me off the stage. So yes, <laughs> I had, I felt like I had failed for sure. You have no idea. This is such a tremendous gift you're making here to all of us sharing this because it's mostly with these people, stars like you, where nobody would think that some of this, what you just shared, would possibly have happened inside of you. And I think that is such a wonderful gift you're giving to all of us that you share this with us because what's most personal is, in fact, most universal. Absolutely. So thank Absolutely. You. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the little book of Big Lies, I love what you just said. In the little book of Big Lies, I say what you just said this way. I say when we realize that our issues are a microcosm of a much bigger social issue, then shame and secrecy are unnecessary and unhelpful. So whether it's stage fright or something else, there are moments that get lodged inside of us. And the way in which we react to those moments, it determines whether those moments become a pathway to freedom and, and greater expression or a pathway to being caught in some sort of emotional limitation, and I call it an emotional loop, right? And my emotional loop was that that gulp of fear led to thoughts about failure. The thoughts about failure led to greater fear, and the greater fear led to greater thoughts about failure. And so I was caught within a very limited idea of myself and what's possible. Today, working in the world when I'm not in front of the camera, I am all about inner fitness. And I define inner fitness as building the mental, emotional, and spiritual skills and practices that foster resilience and help us resolve unresolved issues and relieve stress so that we can thrive instead of just survive. And the steps to thriving really do include us being able to interrupt those unconscious patterns, help those unconscious emotional limiting loops help us to see them for what they are and then go after them with real clear self-love and real world strategies that can help us unravel their hold on us. This is so powerful. 
and an amazing legacy you are creating here for an entire society. It's nothing less than that. Tina, however, I would still like to dig more, if you are allowed. Please, yeah, please. Into this situation you were just sharing with us when you were failing. <laughs> what happened thereafter? Was there a moment when you said, okay, I have to step back and have to have a look at this fear and the process that evolved from this event? How did you come from this moment in the midst of your career to now? Yeah. So I will say, as I shared early on, that in the second grade, I had an invisible friend. Yes. God, right? <laughs> Great. Yes. Not God in terms of any religious sense, but just my friend. I literally would hopscotch with God, okay? <laughs> I would sit at my desk with God. And I believe in order to answer your question, I have to tell you what I believe because I believe that that belief was deep inside of me reaching for me to remember it. And the belief is that inside of us, there is an answer and there is personal power. Now, as a young person, those are not the words I would use, right? But some part of me knew that if I just kept working towards it, I would find myself free of this stage fright thing, right? Now, mind you, in the little book of Big Lies, I talk about the sacred torture. And the sacred torture is our relationship with that thing that is our greatest challenge. It becomes like a sacred torture because we just want so much freedom from it because it creates so much pain. It gives us such a sense of failing. It feels like such a log jam in our lives and we don't know how to get over it. And as much as we want to free ourselves of it, there's this weird thing inside of us where we are always sort of focused on it. The very thing we want to get rid of, we are constantly focused on it and focused on it as a problem focused on it as the problem that it is. And so there's this push-pull. I can't stand this thing. I hate this thing. I hate that this happens to me. I hate that I feel this way. I hate that I show up in such a vulnerable, insecure, incapable, lacking confidence kind of way. And yet at the same time, give us two seconds and our mind will immediately go back to that thing and all the problems and the way in which it creates these barriers for us. So it's a crazy push-pull. And I wanted freedom from that. I wanted freedom from that. And something told me that our soul was bigger than that and that that did not have to be the way in which I manage through, push through, will myself through life. 
We live in a never let them see your sweat society. That's a very well way to put it. And I think especially now, more than ever, given the social media pressure, the younger generation is facing. What would be your most important advice to the next generation, especially for women in that context? Yeah. Those moments when you are feeling disconnected from yourself, those are important moments to pay attention to. And that disconnect, that feeling of feeling disconnected is actually the deepest part of you trying to get your attention and take you on the journey back to yourself. So many people try to avoid that feeling of disconnect or that feeling of emptiness or that feeling of not feeling good enough or whatever enough. And what we do is it's akin to my gulp of fear. That feeling not good enough or not enough of whatever, inside of it is that gulp of fear. And then what we do with that, the way we cope with that, creates a habit. And because the information that neuroscience is sharing with us today, we haven't had up until this moment, the ways in which we have come to cope with our fear are not the best ways for managing our fear and absolutely do not support us in that journey back to self. And so my advice clearly stated would be our pain is our soul's incredible way of asking us to give loving focus to the parts that are hurt or in need. And by doing so, it will open a door inside of ourselves that will reconnect us with ourselves and give us more personal power and freedom than we could have imagined up until now. How do we find the courage to do that, Tina? Wanted. I mean, it really does start with wanting freedom. If you are living a life that is so painful or is not what you want, even if you have learned to manage the pain, if you are living a life that is not feeding you, I don't care how much money you have. I don't care how much education you have or don't have, right? If you are living a life that has you putting on a false face and looking like you've got it all together, but inside you feel drained, empty, fear-filled, etc. What a better self. 
want a better relationship with yourself. And as we have found out in this never let them see you sweat society, what you focus on, you will achieve in that arena. You will create in that arena. What has been missing is, is that our focus has been completely externally driven. Career, looks, marriage, kids, all of the stuff that defines the outside, the exterior self, and freedom, a sense of connection with your soul, a sense of innate purpose at the Inner Fitness Project. We say that we offer this acronym as a way of redefining yourself so that with this redefined self, the more you contemplate it, the more you begin to think and move in the direction of the acronym. And the acronym is C-R-E-W-W, crew up. And what that means is instead of seeing ourselves as these these hats that we wear, these roles that we play, no matter how fantastic your family is, no matter how much money you have in the bank, no matter how, again, educated or successful, when we identify ourselves with our external existence, we have to be left with an unspoken and maybe even unrealized fear because all of those things can go away. And if all of those things go away, then who are we? And so when we are identified with the external part of ourself, we have to live in fear because we're always aware that it can be gone. And if yes. it's gone, who are we? Yes. And so crew up, the acronym that we use at the Inner Fitness Project, crew up helps us to develop and build what I know is an undeniable and irrefutable definition of ourselves. And it is that we are innately born with, inseparable from the idea that we are creative. We are innately creative. I'm not talking about creative in the artistic sense, but I am talking about creative in terms of that life is this creative medium. And as we are extensions of life, we are creative mediums. And so when the creativity of life bumps into the creativity that we are, how we respond creates. So we are all creative centers and how we respond to how life bumps into us makes us creators of our reality. And so when you realize that you are innately creative, innately resilient, innately empowered to choose, 
innately whole and innately worthy. When you build your identity around that truth, that crew, and you start to live your life from that crew, it will unleash all kinds of possibilities in your life. And that's what we mean by crew up. I love what you're saying, Tina. And also that, as you wrote in your book, that you are not your childhood. You are not your location we're coming from. You are not the parents or friends or the school you went to or just the family you were born into. And that you can always every day choose to, up until now, that might have been the case, but from now on, I will choose, I'm choosing to act creatively and serving better for myself, more loving to myself. That is especially helpful for traumatized human beings because trauma, as I'm sure you know too, makes you stuck in the past. Because the brain thinks that the past is always now. It doesn't make any difference between the past and now. And this is why it's so empowering when you came up with that rule, I would call it almost a rule, to say, okay, up until now, that might have been the case. But from now on, I choose freedom, inner freedom. Yeah. You bring up a couple of really great points. So... The brain doesn't know the difference between what's real and what's imagined, right? What's real and what's memory. And so with that function, you take that function of the brain and then you take another function of the brain, which is to automatize behavior. So anything that we do on a regular basis, the brain clocks that that's something that it can now make automatic. And by making it automatic, it frees us up to not have to think about that behavior so that the brain can actually think about the one thing that is its primary intention. And that is our survival. And our survival, where the brain is concerned, is really literally It boils down to keep this body breathing. It's not about go off and have a happy life. The brain isn't interested in you going off and having a happy life. <laughs> The part of you that is interested in you going off and having a happy life is outside of the brain. And it has to teach the brain that that is a function that it can automate. But because the brain is literally about our survival, keep that body breathing. What happens is that it takes what we know and keeps what we know really present because what we know we can survive because we've already done it. Yes. So it doesn't matter if you've survived a really, really 
difficult childhood and you feel broken inside, all the brain knows is that we're still breathing. So this kind of behavior can live in our world of acceptable things without creating great fear because this we have survived. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the reasons that the very thing that we hate, that sacred torture I was talking about, that's one of the reasons that that sacred torture, those experiences keep coming up because though they torture the part of us that is conscious of imagining freedom outside of the past, our brains have not gotten the kind of exercise that helps it to see and automate new behavior. And so we are caught in our old identities. And our job is to realize that we are innately creative enough to design and redesign our lives, resilient enough to weather any storm, empowered to choose and re-choose and choose again how we respond to life, seeing ourselves as innately whole, meaning that the freedom that we look for is inside of us. It's inside of how we begin to see ourselves and how we begin to respond in new ways to old experiences. That power doesn't come from outside. It comes from inside. The way in which the outside factors in to that internal journey is that we might have to go to a book like The Little Book of Big Lies to learn new ideas to begin to focus on so that the brain has new things that it can move into more automatic behavior. That's the power of therapy, to be able to get in there and break up the narrow-focused consciousness and expand our ability to see ourselves and make new choices. That's what we're doing in our workouts. One of the things that I'm just like, I will die, I will leave this planet championing that we can approach inner fitness the way we approach physical fitness, exercising, our minds and our hearts and our sense of ourselves in one hour increments. So it's not the kind of physical exercises that you do in physical exercise where you're strengthening the body, but internal exercises, internal ways of meeting up with the past that allows us the freedom of going up until now it's been this way, but from this point forward, it can be this way. Creating that space of possibility, that frame, that up until now and from this point forward, it is brilliant. And it's something that I learned years ago in a spiritual psychology program that I took that literally 
literally, it was so powerful that it helped me to reshape and reimagine the possibilities in my life. And so every time I have the opportunity to share that, because it's such a simple, simple frame that gives you so much power. I cannot think of any more meaningful legacy, Tina. Really not. These thoughts and your insights and your wise advice are invaluable. They really are. Thank you so much for this. I am a practiced person. I am not special. I discovered because I wanted freedom. I discovered things that worked and I practiced them like my entire life depends upon it. And that practice has transformed my experience, which means it's possible and available for us all. I really enjoyed this profound conversation and I hope you did too. For more episodes of Before It's Too Late, make sure to subscribe. If this episode spoke to you, consider sharing it with a friend or loved one you think might benefit from it. Thank you for listening.